A.A. Ron. It's my favorite. <laughs> All right. Wes Bowles, good morning. Hey, um, I wanted to, I saw a few um, new faces here. First, I want to address one issue. My shirt is salmon. It's not pink, okay? I got up this morning, Lincoln is like, nice pink shirt, Dad. And I was like, it's salmon, Lincoln. You haven't learned that color yet. So anyway, uh, thank you for all your compliments this morning. Um, <laughs> I see some new faces in the room, and uh, I, if, I, we, if we haven't gotten to meet yet, my name's Nathan, and um, I find myself just saying over and over, I get the privilege of being the pastor here at this church, because this is a church that since January we've been saying, but I believe we've always been about, connecting with Jesus, connecting with people, and connecting people with Jesus. And with that mission in mind, I actually want to thank a group of people. When you came in this morning, you might have seen over our doors in the foyer, uh, our mission statement over these doors. It's over here, connect with Jesus, connect with people, connect people with Jesus. So we'll just assume if you walked through that set of doors, that's what you're interested in this morning. But uh, I first want to thank Jason, and his last name is escaping me right now. So if your name's Jason, just take this for you, okay? Jason, uh, Dan Rodriguez, Suzanne Kakuris, and Jeff Laurie and Emily Graham for getting that wall set and those letters up there. Would you thank them for all their work? It's a really, it's just really cool looking, but also a great reminder for every single one of us when we walk in. Uh, also, before we start the message, I wanted to just take a moment and um, just for all of us to take a moment and be mindful of what is coming this week, the, the anniversary of the signing of the, de the Declaration of Independence. And I know it's a holiday, it's a day off work, it's a reason to get together and barbecue, but let us never, ever forget what this week symbolizes in our nation's history. So with that in mind, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this week as we look forward to the anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, we thank you. We thank you that you truly gave us our independence, but let us never lose sight that our best, fullest just way of being, individually and as a nation, is complete dependence upon you. And so weave that, breathe that into the life of our nation as we walk forward every single day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I want you to out loud finish this phrase. Ready? It's just not fair. Wow. Do you hear how many people said that? Have you noticed our emphasis on fairness. In 2012, the NFL, actually there was a dispute between the NFL owners of the National Football League and their referees. And so what they did is they locked out all of their referees. And you had referees at the beginning saying, it's just not fair. And the owners were saying, well, it's just not fair. Well, this all came to a head one Monday night football game in 2012. Um, the Seattle Seahawks actually lost a game because of a botched call by a replacement referee, which was really a win for all of us. But they lost this game, and you had them crying out, it's not fair. And the replacement ref saying, it's not fair that you put us in this position. And the official referee saying, well, it's not fair that we're not out there. And in Las Vegas... Actually, $150 million changed hands as a result of that messed up call. And you had betters in Vegas saying, it's not fair. And you know what I say? Whatever. I will tell you about not fair, okay? 
Not fair is, have you seen my wife's head of hair? Carol, where are you? Right there? Okay, if you know her, actually, Carol, what would you estimate per square inch of your scalp? How many hairs are there? How many? It's 74,000. I counted while you were sleeping. Anyway, it's not creepy. We're married, all right? Um, it's not fair. I've got like 17 hairs per square inch on my scalp. It's not fair. Not fair is when you go to church with Nan Mellonstrand, who is eight foot 30 inches tall, and you're five foot four, five foot negative four, okay? That's not fair. Not fair is when your prayer in junior high was, God, just make me tall, dark, and handsome. And you got to adulthood. And he's like, well, Nathan, you're going to have to settle with being dark and handsome, all right? (laughs) And I'm a little offended you're laughing at that right now, so thank you for that. Have you noticed we are fixed on fairness? What's fair? In fact, as you saw in that video, and we're wrapping up today the series we've been going through, Doing Today a Different Way, isn't that how we go through most days? I mean, there are a lot of dynamics going on, but one of the biggest things on our radar is, I want what's fair. And maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but we look around. We look at the guy who thought of Uber, and I know I do anyway. I go, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) It's not fair. You got people to use their own cars as a force of taxis across the nation. It's not fair. And and when somebody cuts us off in traffic, we speed up because we want something fair. We want justice. It's not fair. And fairness drives our every single day. I recently uh, did a funeral for somebody who was in, uh, the dad of somebody who used to be in the youth group, and he was gone far too soon. And we see moments like that, and many of you know those moments, and you just think it's just not fair. And so what do you do about fair? I mean, even, even the parable we're looking at this morning to wrap this series up, Jesus tells what may be the most unfair parable of all of his parables. But there's something really incredible about this parable that we're going to see this morning because when we walk through this parable, you discover there is something more than fair. There's something far better than fair. So let's take a look. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 if you have your Bibles. If not, we'll have it up on these side screens. Here's how this parable goes. Uh, Verse 1 of Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, in order for him to have agreed to, they would have had to have asked for what was fair. What was fair? And in that day, it was a denarius for a day's worth of work. Verse 3 says, About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now, uh, can I talk to my left brain? How many are left brain people in here? You're just self-admitted left brain. Okay, so what would be fair here? 
Well, it'd be fair. If you get a denarius for a full day's worth of work, what's fair if you do a half day's worth of work? Half a denarius. Quarter day's worth of work? We think in fractions, right? Well, this gets turned on its head a little bit. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. That means if they gave about an hour's worth of work, if they got a denarius, let's come back to our question. Okay, if, if the ones who worked an hour got a denarius, and let's just say this was a 10-, 12-hour workday, then what's fair to give the ones who had worked longest? Probably 10, 12 denarius, denarii, however you say it. I went through seminary. I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, we, we have this notion of what is fair, and it is in direct correlation with how much we've done and how long we've worked. Well, we go to verse 10, and we learn a little bit about our thinking right now, our human thinking. Look at what it says. So when those who came were hired, who were hired first, they expected to receive more because we think what's fair. But each one of them also received a denarius. And now we're going to get a glimpse into this wasn't just their issue. This is our issue. This is that thing in us that wants what's fair. When they received it, verse 11, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired first or hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. I mean, just think about a regular workday. You start fresh, right? But as time goes by and, and the temperature heats up and, and you've been working for a little bit, the head begins to hang and the beads of sweat begin to form and you begin to get hungry and you begin to get thirsty and you begin to feel the heat and we begin to feel the burden of the work, don't we? And it's entirely possible that our emphasis goes from starting the day fresh and wanting to give our all to looking around. And what did they do? They began to look around and they looked left and right and, and they began to compare. And they began to complain and they began to say it's not fair. And actually those who had worked longest were thinking about, by the end of the day, were really thinking about themselves the most. And it's a very real danger not just in a day of work, but in the life of faith. The longer we're at it, there is this danger of going, what about me? I want what's fair. And that doesn't matter what age we are, no matter how long we've followed Jesus. As time goes by, this is the dynamic that can happen. This is the human condition. Well, the master, Jesus says the master had something to say, but he answered one of them. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Wait, Jesus, how could you say that? I mean, if you just come to us for a moment, how do you look around? And, and if, this is, if this is at all talking about what our relationship with God is like, how can we look around and say anything is fair? You're not being unfair. Well, he continues. He says, I'm, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you 
envious because I am generous. Do you see those two words there? Three words? I want to. Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? The master or the workers? Well, we all know the master gets to decide. But that was a lot easier when I was fresh. That was a lot easier when I thought that everybody else was going to get what was fair. See, the truth is, we're not just fixated on fair. We want fair to be fixed for everybody else as well. One of my favorite days in 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade in high school was that first week of wrestling season, the, the freshmen had to push pennies down the hall of Columbine High School with their nose. Did anybody get to do that in high school? Okay, well, it was fun to watch. It was really fun to watch, okay? But they had, I mean, it's probably, I don't know, 100, 150 yards, let's just say 10 miles long. Anyway, uh, it's this long hallway, and they had to push pennies all the way down the hall. And I remember thinking, I was sitting there just cheering and clapping and giggling because it was awesome. Because guess what Nathan had to do as a freshman? Yeah, this is fair right now. And actually, it wasn't just fair. It was actually still unfair to me because freshman year, Nathan, that was the year that they made all the freshmen push pennies across the floor of the boys' locker room with their noses. I mean, take your pick. 30 feet of the locker room or a big, long hallway? 30 feet of the boys' locker room or a big, long hallway? So I remember thinking, people were like, you're so terrible. How can you be cheering that these guys are pushing pennies down the hall? And I was like, well, back in my day, <laughs> guess what we had to do? This isn't fair. They're getting, they're getting better than what we had to get. Because we want fair to be fixed for everybody. And then Jesus ends this parable with one sentence that kind of makes you, gives you a puzzled look. Here's what he says. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And what Jesus is about to get to is that when we settle on looking for fair, if I want to go through today with fairness in mind, you and I are actually settling for something far less than what he's got. Now, this, this verse, you kind of have to decipher a little bit, but it's directly tied to a conversation that Jesus had right before he told this parable. But we don't often connect them together because there's this chapter break. So when, it, when Matthew goes from chapter 19 to chapter 20, this to me is like the worst chapter break in the entire Bible because we disconnect, we disconnect Jesus' meaning behind the story. But if you jump back to chapter 19, you have a rich young man who comes to Jesus, and he's got everything. And he says, well, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you need to, you need to follow the most important commandments, but then you need to sell all you have and come and follow. And it says the, the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. He was so attached to his great wealth. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, sees all this. And we'll pick up in chapter 19, verse 27. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. So Peter's thinking, oh my goodness. Like, that guy couldn't do it, and he walked away, but we did it. So he says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter's asking the question, Jesus, give 
us what's fair. What do we get out of it? And Jesus, Jesus is about to take Peter's notion and he's about to take our notion of fair and he's going to say, oh, there's a lot more. You're about to see exactly why the master said, I'm not being unfair. Here's what he says in verse 28. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I don't know specifically all that that means. I, I, I imagine that we could all only imagine. But it's clear there's an eternal purpose that Jesus has in mind as he's answering Peter. But that's not it. Verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Whoa. So not, just, not only is there an eternal purpose in mind, there's provision and there's redemption and there's restoration of all those things that throughout life I said, oh, it's not fair. It's not fair that I have to forego that. It's not fair I've got to leave that. It's not fair. He says, oh, no, it'll be made up. Oh, and then on top of it, there's eternal life. Just, just one, little, one little detail there. All that, all that. And then he says the statement that connects the conversation with the parable. Verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Could I ask you a question? Is there anything you could get today is there anything I could get today? Is there anything any of us could get today from anybody that would measure up to that? An eternal purpose? The restoration of all that we left, all that we let go of in this life, an eternal life? I mean, what can any person or, or thing here on earth or situation give us that would measure up to that? There's nothing. And, and so the question really here that I wonder, I, I just have to think Jesus is putting into their minds and in our minds is what if in the middle of what looks so unfair, you knew that you had something better, that you had God's favor? What if in the middle of unfair, we realized and we were assured of and we knew that we have his favor? Uh, I remember one day, freshman year, I was complaining to the third-level wrestling coach about this having to have pushed a penny across the locker room, the boys' locker room, with my nose. And he listened to me for a good five or ten minutes, and I thought, oh, they, you know, I was saying things like, they all hate me, and, and they just, you know, they're just trying to make fun of me, and it's because I'm the smallest, and, and all these things. And he said, have you ever thought about that they do that every single year to the freshmen because you belong? What if that's their way of letting you know you belong to the team? What if we walked through life, regardless of how fair the current situation looks or the current circumstances or, or whatever is going on right now this day, what if we walked through life and knew we had a heavenly father who said, you belong? to me. You belong. 
And because you belong, you can be assured you have my favor. That's a lot better than you have what's fair. And so with that in mind, I want us to actually walk through that parable again. Because the first time we walked through it, we really walked through, through the, looking at it through the lens of what's fair. I want you to look at this parable again through the lens of favor. Take a look. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Do you know one of the most important crops to Israel? You want to know what it was? It was grapes. It was grapes. And where do you take care of grapes? On a vineyard. In a vineyard. And so to be called into working in a vineyard was actually a very important task. Because even the angle of a blade, if you were pruning a vine... The angle of the blade and the location where you cut could mean the difference between cutting off a branch and it produces no more fruit and cutting back a branch so that it could be even more fruitful. This was an incredibly important task and there was a lot of purpose behind it. See, this was not just, hey, I, need, I just need people. This was, no, I have selected you for a very important purpose. Next verse, verse 3, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. Do you notice that statement in there? He went out and saw. He went out and saw. I don't know if you've ever seen movies or seen in real life where you have a, a labor um, office where you just have a pool of people out there waiting for work. And one of the most important details of this parable, but most important part of one of those people's days is being seen. Because if you're not seen, you can't work. And if you can't work, how do you make money? How do you provide? He went out and saw. So not only is there a purpose, but he's a master. He's a God who saw. That's not it, though. Verse 5, he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Can you imagine with the heat of this last week, standing outside for 10, 11 hours, you want to find something to do, but nothing to do. He says, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Have you been there? Because, see, there comes that point where if you've spent enough time, if you've lived enough life, it's easy to start looking around and going, what am I doing? I mean, I'm busy, but it doesn't feel purposeful. And we can begin to feel idle. And, and honestly, the pain is not this sharp pain. The pain of looking for a purpose, the pain of wondering if he sees you, is a dull ache. It's a dull ache that can just grind and grind and grind. And Jesus says, but for this master, even a late hour, 
even far along in the day, is not too late. He can still see. He can still give a purpose. He can still call workers into his vineyard. And they answered in verse 7, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. He's constantly calling new people to work in the vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came, uh, sorry, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? You notice that transition? The workers went from in the morning, pick me, to probably midday, thankful he saw me, to the end of the day, what about me? And it's real easy to forget that he called us into his vineyard. It's easy to forget that there was a time that I was standing around totally dependent, looking for a purpose. And through the world's eyes, it could be the most important position or title or, or just carrying out of anything in the world. But it can still feel empty. And it's easy to forget that he called us into the vineyard. It's easy to let the days go by and just there's this subtle shift in the heart that says, well, what am I getting out of this? And we forget that we have a master who called us and he gave us a purpose in the best of places. No denarius, a hundred of them couldn't measure up to that. And so he continues, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Doesn't he have the right? Doesn't he have the right during this time on earth to, dis to distribute all things from him as he pleases? Well, yeah. And the reason he can is because he took care of fair. While we're looking around today for what's fair, you know what he did? He took care of fair. Because there was a time that human beings fell short of a holy God. And he said, so somebody has to pay a price. And it may be what was the most unfair act of all time. He said, instead of each of us getting up on a cross, each of us facing death to pay the price, he said, it'll be my son. And Jesus, Jesus, to balance the scales of God's justice, went to the cross. And he paid the price. He settled fair at the cross. And there is nothing I can get today, and there's nothing you can get today, that will measure up to that 
Nothing. Nothing at all. See, when we're looking for fair, we're overlooking his favor. That's how you go through today. When we're looking for fair, we're overlooking his favor because his favor, his favor is such that he gave the Son of God, who then sent the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, to navigate today and navigate our time on this earth. The Son of God sent the Spirit of God so that we would have purpose in the kingdom of God. So if we're looking for fair, we're overlooking his favor. Could I ask you, would that cause you to do today a different way? Would it? I mean, think about this series. As, as you think through all the parables we've looked at and, and what the kingdom of heaven is like, that means that when the enemy hands out the temptation of my kingdom, I don't have to grab for it because Jesus already took care of fair. I have his favor. And my kingdom can't match up to God's favor. And I don't have to worry about my life. Remember we talked about that? I don't have to worry about my life because God says you already have my favor. When, when those people that we classify as weeds in our lives, and we all have different definitions of that, right? That means I don't have to remove any of them. I can actually restrain me and remain next to them because I have God's favor. When I'm looking around in the field that I'm standing in, whether it's a job or it's I mean, all kinds of things, a situation, um, it's a family dynamic, it's a financial situation. When you look at the field that you're in, you say, you know what, I don't have to wish for something else. I can buy the field. I can invest in this field right now because I have God's favor. And when somebody has offended me and I'm tempted to pay them back, I can remember I was paid for because that's God's favor. Yeah, that would probably cause us to do today a different way, isn't it? So he continues. One last statement, connecting it again. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. See, there are constantly new workers coming into the vineyard. And I would say if you've been walking with Jesus for a long, long time, you know what the best possible thing we could do is? Is turn around and look at who are the new workers coming into the vineyard and pouring into them and training and equipping them. And if you're new to the vineyard, you're not even sure you want to set foot or answer that invite, that's fine. But if and when you do, seek out somebody who's been in the vineyard for a while. Seek them out because they have a lot to give. They want to trust you with opportunities, but honor their experience. Honor what God has shown them in their time in the vineyard. This is not about waiting till the end of our lives to, to step into the vineyard and, and just sliding through the door as the train is leaving the station and saying, oh, I'm good. This is about why we follow Jesus. Am I looking for something for me? What do I get? Or am I in the vineyard to give to God's kingdom? I've shared, I'll close with this, I've shared a few times about my grandmother. Two weeks shy of her 93rd birthday, she, she died. And about three days 
before she died. Um, I had an uncle who my, my family for years had said, we gotta, we gotta ask grandma to know Jesus. We've just gotta ask grandma to know Jesus. And it was just, no, no, no. She had this image of these ladies from a local church in her small town that they always showed up to ask her if she wanted to know Jesus, but they always came during, she was watching General Hospital every single day, like never missed an episode. In fact, if any of you has General Hospital history, I can hang in that conversation because of grandma, okay? But she just, it was a nuisance, like, and she didn't have DVR, so every moment at the door was a moment she was missing her show. Well, a couple weeks before, or a few days before she died, my uncle went to uh, the hospice care that she was and just said, that she was at and said, I've got to ask you again. Would you like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And she said, it's time. It's time. And 60 hours later, she took her last breath. Now, I've shared that story with you before. But what was so remarkable to me, and perhaps, perhaps a big piece of what Jesus is getting at here, is why do we follow? Because Grandma, she came to Jesus at a time when even if he had just given her all the earthly treasures, she couldn't have enjoyed any of them. She couldn't have. And so her yes to working in the vineyard was maybe from the purest possible place. Because there was no looking around at earthly things and saying, what do I get? All she could offer in the vineyard were the breaths that she had left in her life. And I have to imagine that one day when there's a line, I'm sure God has figured this out, but I'm imagining lines one day up there because there's a lot of people over a lot of time from a lot of places. But I imagine be standing in line and I can't help thinking that maybe I'll look up ahead in line and grandma, who came later, she might just be ahead of me. Actually, you know what I hope? I hope, as the worship team comes up here to close, I hope that every single one of us is at the front of that line together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you are a God who you are so fair. And in the midst of it looking so unfair, remind us that if it's unfair to anybody, it was unfair to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he paid the price for us not just to have fair, but to have favor. And so as we go, Lord, fill us. Remind us that you give us You gave your son on the cross. You give your spirit for the purposes of the kingdom of God. Let us walk in that favor. And truly, with that in mind and in our hearts, we can do today a different way. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.